Mark loves people. He is a very social person. I know. You do, and you contribute in a lot of ways. All right. And we're very proud of that. All right. So just in terms of politics alone, it's important that we give our sons and daughters opportunities to show that they can contribute to society. This show is about dreaming ordinary. It's a narrative that gets told too often to parents of young children with disabilities. The more services, the better. But John and Connie found a different way early on with their son, Mark. Their dream was bigger. The values that they lay out as a family really get to the heart of why this podcast started, to offer out ideas for families and people with disabilities to go after more than the expected route of disability services and segregated activities. The Sousa family connected with Starfire more recently to learn how to launch community projects as a way to deepen their existing connections in the community. They say that this concept of bringing people together over a shared goal, like a community garden, generates a certain kind of magic almost instantly and is the kind of healing they think the world needs right now. So if you're somebody who wants to think seriously about how you and your loved ones spend your time, how to connect more deeply in the community, and ways to make long-term, ordinary relationships a reality, then this episode is for you. I have heard speakers talk about this concept as a way of healing the world. And um, as we're in the midst of the COVID-19 virus outbreak right now, I think the world could use a lot of healing, not only physically, but also in terms of relationships. We have a new neighbor who shares that passion with us. And it has been such a joy to get to know one another, to have a real give and take. I can see how if this were multiplied throughout communities and states and nations, it would be a joyful place. Beautiful. Well, I'm I think what moves me for a lot of this work is is almost a therapeutic plan for me. Uh, I grew up very, very isolated, and I had very few interactions with, with anybody besides my family. And most people would have described me as being very introverted. When people ask me, you know, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? My answer is always the same. I wanted to be a long-distance truck driver so that I could sit in that cab and not have any human contact with anybody for days on end. And if left to myself, that's probably what would have happened. But instead, I learned that if I pushed myself a little bit and started interacting with people and meeting people, then I, I could change that desire to be a loner. And so I think the reason I'm so involved in all of this stuff is still mostly for myself to avoid becoming falling back into being that loner. That uh, so I, I made pretty much a conscious decision that I was just going to change my behavior first, and of course, after I changed my behavior for a while, my attitudes started to change. 
fast forwarding then when you and Connie met and you had children and you were down the road, you know, deciding how to engage as a family in the community, Mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you had to consider first to be connected? I think for me, the recognition that Mark developmentally was uh, experiencing life differently than our other two made me realize it was going to be very helpful if I became more engaged in the disability advocacy world. I was kind of driven by two different quotes that were in my head that I learned while I was in the military. Uh, And they're very atypical, but uh, they're very powerful. One is from um, uh, Johann Goethe, a German philosopher. Mm. And he said, dream no small dreams, for they have power insufficient to change the hearts of men. That's been something that I've always come to recognize as really a very powerful piece of instruction and advice. And I saw that there were people who were encouraging us in many ways to dream small. Mm. Be satisfied with what Mark is able to do, uh, focus in on his disabilities, um, you know, spend your time searching out services. In many ways, that was uh, dreaming small. There were occasionally people who would say, no, 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 don't do that. Dream big. Dream like Mark's future is limitless. Dream like if you just provide him with all of the opportunities that life has to offer, you'll be amazed at how much he's going to accomplish. And that was that was what I took from Goethe. Dream big. And we have ever since, and that really has kind of put us into contact with a lot of other big dreamers. Uh, It's those big dreamers that really have changed the way the world works for people with disabilities. Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, For me, in terms of community building, I think um, one of the greatest influences has been our church. Mark turned three at the end of December. Oh, right. And um, three-year-olds were supposed to begin in what most people would call junior Sunday school. When Mark was three, we were still carrying him, cradling him in our arms. Did you know that when you were three years old, you couldn't sit up by yourself? Uh, No. Really? Really, truly. Mark just kept attending our Sunday school classes with us. And about two, three weeks into that sequence, uh, one of our friends who taught the three-year-old class, a sunbeam class, came to us in the hallway and said, why hasn't Mark been in my class? And I said, Edith, look, as if seeing where Mark was at that moment Um, meant everything. And she said, yes, but look at my role. And Mark's name was there without X's in the attendance boxes. And uh, she said, we really need him in our class. And I said, Edith, he can't even sit up independently. She said, well, 
we could get a high chair and we could put pillows all around it so that he could sit up. And he said, we're not even sure he can understand what you're teaching the other kids. And she said, that doesn't matter. She said, the reason I need Mark in my class is because all the other kids there's so much to learn from him. And while we had been working seriously on stimulation and Mark had gone through early intervention and, and we learned about, you know, sensory stuff and what have you, we were doing that once a week in a group and the rest of the time at home. But what Edith had said really started Mark and us on the path to community. Mark now, well, tell tell Katie what you do at church. What are the things that you're responsible for? As secretary. Secretary for what? Uh, For attendance. Yep, and you set up appointments for interviews. Set up appointments for interviews. We were amazed. Mark was enfolded in the arms of these people who understood all about community because because that fits the teachings that we have as Christians. Going back to what what Edith had said to you that, you know, diversity and having different types of learning in a classroom is really, really, really important. And once you accepted that invitation, what unfolded in that first year? What I remember is that it reinforced something that I came to realize. Everybody became comfortable and it was now normal and accepted that Mark would be part of that congregation. What I took from that, too, was once people got to the point where they were comfortable because of exposure and experience, they relaxed and they accepted Mark for who he was and didn't feel the need to treat him any differently than they would any other child. It uh, reminds me of another one of my kind of guiding principles. And this comes from a guy named Rudolf Steiner talking about early childhood. Rudolf Steiner is the founder of the Waldorf educational system. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. He said that there is nothing more therapeutic than normalcy. That was a piece of advice that was given to us by a good friend, developmental pediatrician when Mark was finally uh, identified as having all these developmental challenges. The meeting at the end of the two-day evaluation process was nothing but a group of people who were very pessimistic about Mark. He's not going to walk. He's not going to talk. He's probably not going to be aware of you. He's certainly not going to hear. He's a whole bunch of things. They all at the end say, well, Good luck. Take him home and love him. And that was that was their advice, which is good advice, but inadequate. When they all left, their boss, who was sitting in the back of the room observing them, asked us to go into his office because Connie was bawling. Sig closes the door, and the first thing he says is, 
don't believe a word of what those people said to you. Mm. And, I, and I thought, sick. If you say that, why don't you stop them before they started? And he said, you know, all they those people in that room were doing or could do is describe Mark now as they mm. see him. They could not possibly describe Mark in the future. I believe if you believe them, that future will happen. If you don't believe them and you adopt the, uh, the approach that the best thing to do is to have Mark experience as much normal normalcy as possible, he will become a different person. He will become more like the normal is, whatever that may be. Every person will develop depending on how much they're exposed to. So he said, I'm not going to let them label him because that will result in them. Other people reading the report will result in treating them in a stereotypical way based on his label. I'm just going to say he's developmentally delayed. And his advice was take him home and love him, but then help him have every normal experience their other children did. And that kind of guided our thinking really from then on. And, you know, dreaming big in this instance is yep. to dream to dream ordinary, to dream exactly. normal. Yep. And that sometimes ordinary is the biggest gift anyone can have. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive and, yeah. uh, because in, in the world of disabilities, a lot of times people... People think that dreaming big means getting more services. The more you better, the more services, the better. Uh, Steiner said, think seriously about substituting every hour of normalcy with an hour of service, because that hour of service is removing that person from normalcy. So it's almost, a, in the disability world, it's almost a flipping of thinking that that has to happen. Be concerned if you were to substitute. Be big in your thinking by applying for normalcy. Yes. So even services uh, are, they're not normal too. Is what you're saying. They're not normal. What's more important is that Mark participated not only in that class, but every subsequent class. And when Mark was 11 years old, we took our school district to a due process hearing because they had adamantly fought us for two years in bringing Mark back into district from a segregated day placement that was anything but normal because they were sure that Mark would not act appropriately in a classroom setting. They were sure that Mark would be a disruption to other students. They were sure that he might even be self-injurious or injure other people because they were thinking in terms of stereotypes and not in terms of who Mark is as an individual. And do you remember that Jennifer Coates, Mark? Yeah, what about? She came to your hearing and right. she told everybody just how you act in a classroom setting, that you raised your hand just like that. I see. That you participated appropriately in singing time that you right. sat with your class and no additional extra support that you sang the songs that you 
answered questions. You gave talks. Yes, I did. Hmm. So it sounds like Jennifer had another piece of Mark and your family story along this journey to dream big, to live an ordinary life. Yep. She, she made an impact during that hearing. And I want to see if we can uh, dip our toes briefly in the water of the day placement that you mentioned that Mark was in and how that was anything but normal. Can you explain how abnormal it was or what, what about it made it not ordinary? The very fact that there were multiple kids with multiple disabilities just ate up so much of the instruction time. Um, What else do you remember about? Everybody in Mark's class was just like Mark, six little kids, wheelchairs, And so the biggest thing that I believe happened when he left there and went into a regular classroom is that for the first time, he started to culturally and socially experience life as every other 11 or 12 or 15 year old does. Uh Uh-huh. You agree with that, Mark? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And. I think that's a good segue. The word, the, the phrase, a good life, that is something you hear a lot from Alec Mansky and Vicki Kamek. It's a big part of the Plan Institute model. And you all have been involved with Plan at Rhode Island for quite some time. So what ways has, does it helped? John first heard Al speak. He recognized the wisdom in their model that we always acknowledge how deeply we depend on the work when we brought Plan to Rhode Island 15 years ago. Uh, we knew we were standing on the shoulders of giants. The two things that they do so well, and the two things that we have focused on in trying to replicate their model, is we help parents. Put all their ducks in a row. Plan for the time that they are no longer going to be there or able to enrich the lives of their sons and daughters out of the love and the you know the family history, the, the precious relationships. The much more important part of what they did in Canada and what we do in Rhode Island is to build a personal support network around the member the family joins on behalf of their son, daughter, brother, sister. And they engage with a facilitator to build and maintain that support network so that it's not just every individual having a relationship with the person at the center of the circle, but it is all those people getting to know one another, to recognize one another's strengths, to trust one another. Between all those group gatherings, individuals will do things with the member at the center, um, with our loved ones. And as parents, we try to do that early enough so that we can fill in the important parts of the history 
So the support network is really there to build a circle of support around uh, a person. And yet also, it's not just about this this person in the center. It's about everybody that's in the, the network joining together, being in relationship together, and in that way, being a community. And uh, where are you now with the support network? Mark has had a personal support network for the entire time that plan has been in existence in Rhode Island. It really does take some time for relationships to mature, that if we had to step off the earth the next week, this would go on. And that it would provide Mark with people that he could depend on, people who were real friends, who had proved that over time, people who enjoyed spending time with him. Um, and we feel secure. And so, and one of the questions that plan, the plan Institute seems to start with is, uh, what happens, what would happen to my loved one after I pass on, you know, if I'm not around, if we're not there to help, what will happen? And so starting from a young age, sounds like you guys have done a lot of work to build that support network so that in a time of disaster or otherwise that there is somebody there for, for Mark. Right. When when Plan in Canada was first put together, it was even before Alan Mansky. It was just a group of parents, and then they they hired Alan. Um, they originally thought that they were preparing for their demise, and that the focus was on what's going to happen. What they quickly discovered was that yes, they were doing that, but they were also starting to develop a stronger sense of security and the feeling that their son or daughter was safe. There were some very powerful benefits to the parents while they were still alive. And they figured it out that it was the the existence of this network that provided that sense of security and not only the sense of it, but the actual I love how you put that. That's very clearly stated for me. And I think, you know, it is actually, it starts as soon as you begin to community build the, the benefits, the right. magic, the right. parts of it that are really just supportive feeling begin right away. Yeah. And, and, and every parent needs that. And we need to raise our children um, as a village. You all as a family have taking the brave step, being able to say, well, even though some experts are telling us otherwise, we're, we're going to not believe that. And in doing that, we're going to start the support network early and we're going to build. And the more people who have joined in along the way, it sounds like the more momentum has built towards mm-hmm. this. Tell me about your family's leadership in the community as it relates to your street and how your support network, Mark, how they were involved in that process. So as we kind of navigate our life with Mark, I'm always looking for things that are in the way of him achieving greater independence. So this little project about looking at Warwick Avenue, Mark and his brother live about two and a half, three miles apart. They both require the use of a wheelchair in Mark's case or a scooter in Frank's case. So when Frank moved back here to Rhode Island, 
we thought, wow, wouldn't it be nice if these two guys could get together once in a while without mom and dad having to be the go-betweens? We started looking at this road, and we recognized very quickly that this road was a problem. I've known that this road was a problem probably for at least 15 years now, but I've not had a real strong reason for us to say, let's do something about it. And naturally thought, you know, this is something that is going to be much more powerful if we have a group involved. We had a group. We had Mark's network. They all know him. They're comfortable with him. So we posed the, the idea, the project. People thought this is great. And, and the, um, the fact is that there is appropriated money from the Department of um, Housing and Urban Development every year for infrastructure maintenance. But the fact is also is that many states use that money for something else besides worrying about wheelchair accessibility. So our complaint has just kind of brought this into the public eye. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that we will be able to see some change and some action as we kind of work through the process. But it is also, whatever you want to call it, karma, good luck, whatever, that here we have our network. And one of the powerful things about our network is, is that every member of that network has other connections with other people. And within our little group, we were able to identify somebody else who was not part of Mark's network, but is only peripherally connected to it, who is going to be very helpful in resolving. And you never know, you know, you may know through somebody else until you start talking and working and interacting as a community. Um, you know, I think you said it, every network is a little community. And every little community has a lot more resources than we certainly had by ourselves. Absolutely. And maybe you can share how some of the other families you know um, in Rhode Island have uh, who have similar networks of support like you all do around Mark, how they've utilized their networks of support to do other projects in their communities with Starfire's facilitation support. What are a few of those other projects that have happened or sprung out of that, um, this collaboration? So in in about a month or or so, another network is going to do a project that is going to create a, a mosaic welcome sign to the, this little town's community garden. It's prompted by a family who have a son who has very significant disabilities, but who is a very, very talented artist who is really good at, at sketching and painting vegetables. So they're going to take his work and they're going to uh, create a mosaic welcome sign. This is a family I've known for quite a while, also who've been planned for quite a while. And uh, they have dramatically been able to really bring their son, like we did, uh, out of a special school into the real world. And this and Sid has really blossomed as a result of that real world life experience. 
why do you think it's important for families to lead efforts towards building community? And how do you think families are helping other people in the neighborhood see the light of community building, the magic of community building? We've been told for years on end that certain federal programs are underfunded and that they may come a time that those things are no longer available or that they their supports and services get shrunken. And Mark loves people. He's a very social person. I do. You do, and you contribute in a lot of ways. Right. And we're very proud of that. Right. So just in terms of politics alone, it's important that we give our sons and daughters opportunities to show that they can contribute to society. From our own experience and from the experience of a lot of people, we know that the amount of community acceptance and inclusion that people with disabilities experience is really very much influenced by how much their family is integrated and included in their community. Our experience was that when after Mark uh, started going to this special private school, we spent more and more and more time at that school helping them with fundraising, helping them with all kinds of stuff. And we spent less and less time in our community. We often meet families who want to experience what plan has to offer. And very quickly, they'll say, oh, but we don't know anybody. Oh, we don't, we, you know, we're not engaged in our community. And without spending a lot of time, we could easily help them recognize that that was because they were in spending their time in another place, in a different world than their community. So we, we really, really strongly encourage people to become more engaged, more involved. One of the ways is get engaged in some kind of community project, and all of a sudden, you know a bunch of people. Not all of those people are going to become part of that, their son or daughter's network, but some will. And that's because all of a sudden, they know people who have common interests. So there's all kinds of things that happen when you start doing things together. These projects are just ways, I see, of people becoming engaged in their community as a family. And then as time goes on, for that family to be unique and having people have a relationship just with that son or daughter with a disability. Absolutely. And um, maybe we'll end with a quote here. I think that is uh, related to everything you just said. It's by Al Atmansky. He says, people are naturally ingenious when faced with adversity. What ways do you think you all have managed to be ingenious? With the COVID-19 crisis, Mark's the facilitator of Mark's support network is putting out a request with two things. One, to assure them that Mark is no more susceptible to this virus than anyone else in the community is. More importantly, because Mark has benefited so much 
from his contact with all the members of his network, Steph is going to ask them all to engage with him regularly, remotely, as long as they cannot engage with him personally. He reads and he can enjoy texts and answer emails and appreciate postcards and greeting cards and, right. and phone calls. Um, that's an adaptation that we're making right now. We've learned that we really have to remain flexible. We have to depend on other people's creativity and just let them interact with Mark in their way. In the beginning, when he was younger, people would always ask us, you know, what does Mark like to do? And a long time ago, we, we basically came up with the same answer. Well, I don't know. Uh, ask him. Not only ask him, but uh, invite him. Mark surprises everybody with his ability to express his enthusiasm for things. I love how you turned a question into a way to mobilize community to be more involved and be more inclusive. Um, it's wonderful to meet and hear your story. You know, as parents, we've benefited from such powerful and wonderful messages from guys like Tim and Alan Mansky and David Weatherall or John O'Brien. There's, a, there's a, a million of these messages that we've been lucky enough to hear and try to incorporate in what we're trying to do for Mark. After right. all, that's what it's all about. We're doing it for our family first and uh, hope that other families will see what we've done and will say, hey, if those guys could do it, so can we. That's the power of this movement. It's actually yeah. moving. <laughs> it's doing something. <laughs> That's the exciting part of it. Thanks for being movers. So great to meet you. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. If you are interested in learning more about what Starfire does, head over to our website, starfirecincy.org. That's starfirecincy.org. And maybe while you're there, drop us a donation to keep good work in the lives of people with disabilities and families going. You can also help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes or tell your friends. 